When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Dominic Booth. I'm delighted to be joined again by the dream duo of Samuel Lucker, Stantaro Marshall. Good to have you both with us. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me again. Pleasure to be here. And we are speaking on the Friday straight after Manchester United's 2-0 win over Crystal Palace. A a crucial win uh, for United as they try and maintain their top four push with obviously the FA Cup taking centre stage this weekend on Sunday as United face Chelsea in the semi-final at Wembley. Let's focus on Crystal Palace for the time being, though. It was a, a game of fine margins for United. Uh, they got over the line in the end, Samuel, but perhaps maybe a little fortunate this time. For the third successful game, they, they did not start well at all. Uh, I think the highest saves that he made, I think he made four saves overall of, of no anyway, they they weren't necessarily world class, but they were of a they were of a pretty good standard and there was some hairy moments with the, the non penalty um flashpoint where uh, I mean we, we didn't have monitors in the stands because we were that's that's where we were sat. We were spaced together in, in seats that are usually occupied by supporters. So there were no monitors at all. But having watched it um, on the highlights, I was I'm, I'm surprised that a penalty wasn't given there. I th- I thought it was a penalty. Um, I think the consensus at the time from Rio Ferdinand, who was doing the punditry work, was that it was a penalty as well. And I don't think the ball went out of play. And then United went up the other end and and scored. So it was a, it was a really key key period in that game. And I think look, I don't want to dwell on VAR again too often, but. IU is very, very unfortunate to have his goal chalked off. And if that goal stands in a in a football with without VAR, then I think you have to doubt whether United had the capacity to go on and, and, and win that game because a lot of their players are looking very fatigued at the moment. Um, Fernandez had that opportunity last night where he hit the post. Normally those those chances have been going between the posts from him. But it's testament to a player of his class that he, I mean, he didn't he didn't play well at all. I didn't think, um, well, mostly didn't play well. Yet he had a huge contribution in in both the goals they scored. So, I suppose performance is secondary at this stage of the season for United, especially after the Southampton game. It's all about getting points on the board. And it's it's going to be an exciting finale. Uh, it's, it feels a bit strange to say that, given that it's it's just going for top four. It's not going for the title, but that's that's where United are at in their development. And going into that Leicester game, that there's going to be something riding on it. It's not going to be a case of top four is boxed off. That that is going to be um, that's going to be the, the 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 big game of the final day of the season. Yeah, Ty, we, we spoke maybe about United being a little unfortunate uh, against Southampton with, with obviously finishing the game with 10 men and the injuries uh, and the late goal going in. This time they were on the, the right end of, of the fine margins. But the way I saw it was that the, both the Lindelof challenge and the IU goal is very, very understandable the way that they were both given. And, and the, the VAR sort of re- reflected that, didn't it? 
Yeah, it did. I mean, I think the Lindelof challenge is is one of those where I think if Graham Scott gives that on the pitch, then it remains a penalty and VAR doesn't overturn it. Um, I mean, I think VAR has basically got itself in a mess with this clear and obvious stuff. It, it really should just be given the, the decision that it is. And I think on, I think most people would agree it was a penalty. He might have got some of the ball, but he went through the man to get the ball. And had had the referee given that as a penalty on the pitch, then I don't think there's any chance it would have been overturned at all. And like someone said, the ball didn't go out of play for, for a long time after that and ended with United scoring, at which point they were never going to review it. And like I say, on, on the balance, they don't tend to overturn those decisions. I mean, the offside is it's one of those where it, it is, you know, at the end of the day, that's the law, that's the rule, and it is offside. And there's enough faults with VAR to, to you know, not be complaining too vociferously when they are getting actual decisions right. But I think the way they do offside, you know, I mean, he was a matter of a toe offside. I think it is, it's a little bit anti-goal, really. I think the idea of VAR that it was going to be pro-goal, but it's clearly anti-goal with stuff like that. And I think the the way they do offsides needs looking at and whether you just, you know, almost go to a naked eye test rather than drawing lines on a pitch. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely two moments that went for United. They were, they started both halves poorly until that IU equaliser and even for spell afterwards, Palace were by far the better side in the second half. And it, you really sensed at that time that if they scored, they could well go on and win the game. And had that IU goal stood, then, you know, you wouldn't have been surprised if Palace had gone on and won it because they were, they were comfortably on top. But, you know, they had to dig in. They managed to keep a clean sheet. And it was, you know, some, some moments of, of individual quality, really, that, that, that sealed the victory. They, didn't, they weren't as cohesive going forward. They didn't look as good a team as they have done in recent weeks, but they had the individual players that could that could get the victory. Yeah, Samuel, you, you mentioned fatigue and it, it did look like that was definitely the case with, with some players. Is Solskjaer, did Solskjaer make enough changes? He obviously brought uh, made, made a surprise call in bringing Fosu Mensah in from the cold at left back. That was due to injuries to Shaw and Williams and then McTominay played in, in midfield before Matic came on. But he's now got a big FA Cup semi-final around the corner and it didn't look like United really freshened their team up enough at Palace. No, I, I completely agree. The, the irony of the team that have thrived with an unchanged eleven uh, just did not make enough, did not have enough changes last night. I was I was surprised that Greenwood started, and especially when you looked at his performance, I, I felt sorry for him. He he did not play well. He was sloppy. He he's been the boy who can do no wrong recently, but last night he could do no right. And he clearly wasn't fully fit after um, the, the challenge from Romeo on Monday, Monday night. And I suppose that, again, just reinforces the point that the quality and depth at United isn't at the level that it needs to be, whereby you, you're playing Greenwood because you don't trust Daniel James because he's not been performing this calendar year. Uh, Lingard, talk, talk of players coming back from the cold, he was back on the bench, uh, but he was never going to start that game, and, and rightly so. One matter is is very one paced. When it came to trying to not not trying to, but when we're given the option to pick out how they should line up, I went with a Gallo um, purely because I think Marshall and Rashford are looking very fit at the moment and they're interchanging very fluidly. So there was a possibility of accommodating a number nine like a Gallo, but that's that's really at a push and. Greenwood just wasn't at the races. Fernandez uh, has probably been overplayed to an extent, but it's difficult to take him out of the team because he's been so totemic for United. They've not lost a game that he's played in so far. Um, so, and Wan-Bissaka is another one. I think that's probably, 
it's very rare that you've seen a winger get past him the way Zaha did last night. I was surprised that the cross got in for IU, and I suspect that might have contributed to Maguire and Foz Humensa switching off and, and letting IU get in um, to, to tap the ball in because normally when Wambasak is in, in that position, nobody gets past him, but he has looked very leggy recently as well. So it is a dilemma going into Sunday. Uh, it's 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 easy, easily said, but had they beaten, it's just a shame for United that they weren't three in a lap against Southampton with half an hour left to play because he would have done what he'd have been doing um, in the previous games and freshening it up. Um, but it's 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 a real it's it's tricky it's a tricky one because United have sustained momentum they're still unbeaten they on 19 games now I think unbeaten they're level on points with Leicester their their destiny is in their own hands um, as far as Champions League qualification is is concerned but they're also there are signs they are losing momentum they didn't play well against Southampton and Southampton deservedly got a draw they weren't good against Palace but they found a way they got the win um Rashford was you know excellent last night I, I, for the life of me I don't know how Glenn Hoddle settled on Bruno Fernandes as man of the match but <laughs> yeah. Hoddle Hoddle does have form for saying some rather peculiar things as as we're all aware of so uh you know at the moment that they they're not so much being carried by Rashford and Marshall but it's not a coincidence that those two have scored their last four goals in the last two games they're, they're in a very very good vein of form um, and for United's sake, they're going to have to hope that they take that into the, the semi-final on Sunday. Yeah, it's interesting, Tyrone, that those two players are seemingly not suffering the the effects that, that others are. I mean, they've become so important now, Rashford and Martial. Is there a concern that they could get burnt out as well? And, and if that does happen, then then where does that leave United? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is, it is a major concern. And this is... You know, we Solskjaer touched on it last week and we've touched on it that for, for the best part of a month, considering the schedule other teams have had, they had a very a, a very helpful schedule to, to project restart. They had good space between the fixtures and it allowed them to build up momentum, but that was never going to last. And from from this week, certainly, maybe from the Villa game, the, the schedule has certainly increased significantly. And, and over this two weeks, they played on Monday, played on Thursday, going to play on Sunday, play on Wednesday, play on Sunday in. Every game is absolutely vital, really. And I think they are clearly looking tired. I mean, there was obvious signs against Southampton that they were tired, especially the last 15 minutes. There were signs last night at the start of both halves that they looked lethargic. I think the word they used on, on post, I think it's post-match that Rio Friedman and Hargreaves both used, saying they looked lethargic. And there was certainly an element to that. And I think they needed changes. I think it's going to be an issue on Sunday now that, I mean, Solskjaer's going to be reluctant to make too many changes in an FA Cup semi-final. You feel that he's got to, really. To play that same front five, again, would be a huge risk. Like Samuel, I was absolutely astonished that Greenwood started, um, having had a slight knock as well. He, he looked a player clearly in need of a break, and he's never played this amount of football before in his senior career, so it was a huge ask to to throw him in again. And I think he, he very obviously needs, needs to be taken out of the firing line for a game or two, which is understandable for an 18-year-old. I, I personally think the biggest problem is that rotation should probably have started a week ago. I think if you'd have made, if, if you considered the midfield and attack, those six roles, if you'd have made two changes each against Villa, Southampton and Palace with the ability to bring players off the bench if needed, then you might have been able to get all of those six players a decent rest. Would United still have picked up seven points, maybe even nine points? Possibly so. I mean, they wouldn't have had their best players on the pitch but they would have had fresher players on the pitch. And sometimes that's 
that's just as important. So I think Solskjaer has missed the trick with rotation and it's going to be fascinating to see how he kind of goes about balancing that on Sunday now. Yeah, like, like we mentioned, there are players available who, who may have come in before now and who may come in at the weekend. I'm just, just going to leave that one hanging until later on in the podcast and we'll talk about what kind of team will face Chelsea. But let's just focus for a moment uh, on Timothy Fosu-Mensa, who was the massive surprise when the team news dropped uh, at quarter past seven on Thursday night. I don't think anyone really expected him to, to come in, having not played for United for more than three years, I think. May 2017 was his previous appearance. He'd played for Palace more recently than he played for United. Um, but he did pretty well, didn't he, Samuel, all things considered? It, it was a respectable performance. It, the, the, there was the occasional jittery moment. And as I said earlier, he was he was found nowhere for, for IU's tapping, but was was reprieved by VAR. But overall, it was, it was a respectable performance for someone who, as you said, I think it was, I think Opta had it, that the only player who's been at United or who had been at United longer and had a longer gap between Premier League appearances was was Will Keane and he was only thrust back in because of the, that injury crisis under Van Gaal which was in the month that, that Rashford came into the team and also the month that, that Fosu Mensah came into the team but all, all things considered I thought he did he did reasonably well. Um, he, he was also playing out of position. Um, the only other time he'd played at left-back was was on his debut. So that was February 2016 as well, when he came on against Arsenal. Um, for, for Rojo, I think it was, because Rojo was, unsurprisingly, not, not fully fit, which, I mean, not much has changed there. Uh, but it's it still, the shock factor of it was was pretty extreme in that I think everybody just thought, well, it's, it's got to be Dallow. Dallow's played at left-back. He's he's capable of playing there. He's a more natural option there. But since Fosamenta played last night, I think the more you think about it, the more understandable it was that Solskjaer went with him. Uh, I think immediately people thought, well, he's, he'd have come up against Townsend and Zaha during his... Uh, loan spell at Palace where uh, he'd have been training with them every day when I, when I put that to Solskjaer afterwards he didn't really he didn't really bite on that he didn't suggest that was the case at all he he more focused on what Fosamensa had been doing in training and I think the, the the takeaway from that is that Solskjaer himself had a very bad knee injury that kept him out for over a year when he was at United and, and Fosamensa's gone what 15 went 15 months without a competitive appearance because of um, his cruciate injury that he did on loan at Fulham last year, so maybe that empathy is, was was weighted in his favour as well. And and he is he does strike you as a more athletic uh, defensive option than someone like Dallow. Even though I still think it was harsh that that Dallow didn't start. Uh, so when you when you weigh all those things up, it, it, it seems a little bit more logical than than it appeared at the time but as I said it was still it was still a major shock and Dallow now uh, I mean he's he's effectively the fifth choice fifth choice fullback when at the start of last season uh, plans were being made to to make him the first choice right back I think he's just had his confidence knocked out of him majorly by Wan-Bissaka coming in uh, and, and United spending more than twice as much what they did on him on, on another right back a year after he arrived and um, certainly on what day would it have been Wednesday when I did the story that you know he was he was available to play and that he was he was ready to come back in. His his camp seemed peculiarly pessimistic about his chances of playing, and I wondered why that would be the case. And then come seven fifteen on Thursday night, um, everyone knew why. So uh, it's it's difficult to see him getting a 
a, a good run of games at United or certainly been involved for uh, United games uh, over, over a long period. I think what's got to happen with him now, especially where Fosa Mensah has been retained for the next year, is that Dallow's got to head out on loan at the very least. Hopefully he plays at a, re- a decent level. He has enough playing time, maybe gets in the Portugal squad, maybe gets into the um, European Championship squad and participates there. I mean, this is the ideal scenario and it's a big if, but if he can do that, then maybe he'll he can come back to United rejuvenated. But I think he, I mean, the prospect of him being at United next season, I don't think that necessarily appeals to him even because he's just not getting the chances. And I also don't think it's a coincidence that the last time he played 90 minutes in the league, it was at that in that scandalous surrender at Everton last season. Yeah, it seems to be part of a, a potential shake-up to the, the United defence that we could see in the summer, obviously with with Chris Smalling and Marcus Rojo, Phil Jones uh, among the players who, who could leave and and Dallow now potentially in that mix as well. Solskjaer promoting from from the youth ranks. He's a big fan of Axel Twanzebe and obviously we've seen Brandon Williams come through. Ty, do you, do you see this as a, a bit of a shake-up that we could see at United? Uh, quite possibly. I think it's still, it's still a very bloated squad and there's still the issue of, I mean, this lack of rotation is, is as Samuel has said, it's partly because there's just a a complete lack of trust in the players beneath the first 11 and that needs to change. But you, you look at the squad and there are probably six players at least. I mean, if you count the ones on loan, Smalling, Jones, Rocco, Sanchez, Pereira, Lingard, you could probably lose all of them, not sign anyone and still not really suffer that much. So it, it is a bloated squad and I think quite a few need to go um, just to get the balance better, to get the numbers down. I think most modern managers these days will say they prefer working with the a smaller squad of kind of 20, 22 players. United have got far too many and far too many that, that are a long way from being involved in the first team picture as well. I think... Yeah, the, sorry, there's been, there's been some talk as well, hasn't there, about United even going after a, a centre-back and, and reinforcing that area. There's some question marks over Maguire and, and Lindelof or whether they need you know another option in there. How do you see that one? I mean, I think there's talk of a left-footed centre-back and you can kind of see the balance for that, but... Yeah, I don't think you've sent. You don't think you, I don't think a left-footed centre-back is essential in in a good partnership. Um, I think there's still concerns over Lindelof. He he had a good season last year and he's been okay this year without ever really convincing that he's necessarily a a long-term partner for Maguire. Um, I suppose you wonder whether the competition is there for him. Tuanzivi's had a kind of a, a write-off year this season with his injuries. Bailly looked good initially, then was was poor at Norwich recently, and it, it doesn't seem to be trusted to, to start in the league. So I think there's probably a concern at centre-back that you might need another another body in there to partner Maguire. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be looking to sign one before I've shipped at least a couple of Rocco, Smalling and Jones out, because I just think you're creating bigger issues for yourself in terms of having too many players in that squad and, and not necessarily keeping them happy, but if you've got two of those three training every week but never near a match day squad, then it can't be good for the, the general feel and spirit around the squad. So I think I think a lot, you know, I think half a dozen players going before any are signed is would probably not be a bad move. Yeah, I guess it it will very much depend on how the market sits this summer with uh, obviously the implications of the coronavirus pandemic and, and everything like that. There was some talk at one stage something about United going for a left back and uh, ben Chilwell's been a name that's been mentioned in recent weeks, but that that wouldn't appear to have legs. But maybe someone like like Ake 
would potentially be more suited to to what United are going for. I mean, on the the left the left footed centre back thing, I mean, Van Gaal was obsessed with that to the point where it was just detrimental in that Tyler Blackett played for the United first team purely because he was left footed. He was never ever good enough for United. Um, I think it's he's done well enough to stick it out at Reading for as long as he has. I'm not sure if he's still at Reading, but he's been there since the um, since he left United four years ago. And I remember when when the kit launch Adidas launched the United kit. There was um, there was some party that I went to in the Northern Quarter where I looked in, horribly out of place among all these much younger. Um, party goers but the the two midnight players there were going to be two surprise players at midnight appearing and of course social media being social media some start speculating whether Gareth Bale is being uh, flown over from Madrid and he, that's that's going to be his his signing unveiling of course it wasn't it was Phil Jones and uh, Daily Blind who had been playing together on pre-season as, as the central defensive partnership like on that pre-season Van Gaal he 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 used every game to try and get United in tune to um, and, and settle on a team for the first day of the season. It, he pretty much gave away what side he was going to be playing against uh, Tottenham four weeks in advance. But then Jones got injured, and even that night, Jones and Blind made sure that they were like stood on the right side of each other. I.e., Blind would be on the left and Jones would be on the right. I think I went to even the jokes extended to I went to see the the Bond film later that year and Joe Jones was as far to the right hand side as possible even then so it's almost like well Fangar would have proof of that had he had he programmed them that much to be that right right sided or left sided um I mean a lot has been read into what Solskjaer said about said to Ake sorry um I think that Given the amount of, given how bloated that department is, that City is the much more enticing um, Manchester club for Ake to go to. If if City do indeed actually make an offer for him, um, you know, City have made it clear which which centre backs they're looking at with this list of players like Ruben Diaz, Kalidou, Koulibaly, players that United have looked at previously, players that Mourinho had shortlisted in in Diaz and and, and Koulibaly. Um, but they they are going to have to United do need to ship them out, and I don't think just getting rid of some of the players on loan um, will cut it. It, it. The finances, the economic realities, as Woodward put it, it doesn't work out that way. With Chilwell, United said to us in uh, late November that they shelved left back plans because of Brandon Williams's development, and at that time Luke Shaw had gone something like a hundred days without playing because of his hamstring injury. He's since come back into the team and until the Palace game had started 18 games in a row. So um, Chilwell is a player that United have looked at in the past, but these things are ever changing. And Shaw's had certainly this calendar year, very a very good calendar year. I know he still gets a lot of stick on social media, but I just think that's because social media can be a bit of a cesspit at times. I mean, I've seen some anglophobic United fans who probably don't go to matches complaining that Rashford's a lot of Rashford's goals are, are penalties. Well, I mean, did, did these people really quibble about 12 of Van Nistelrooy's 44 goals in 0203 being penalties? Probably not because he's Dutch. You know, it's just tedious. Just just appreciate that Rashford has probably been United's best player this season. And Shaw gets a rough ride because he's English. And Maguire gets picked on by certain sections of the fan base because he's English. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not being a Brexiteer here at all whatsoever. 
it's just I can't understand why there's this obsession with picking on English players. Fair enough, it's Phil Jones or, or Jesse Lingard. They have they've had absolute abominations of, of seasons, but where where some of them are concerned, where they've been playing well and serving a purpose, I, I really don't get it. Um, but again, I think I, I still think the priority for United will be to, to sharpen that attack because, as I touched upon it earlier, the front three behind the first choice front three is um is probably a Garlo, James and Matter. And that that really doesn't quite cut it when you look at the strength and depth that some that a team like City have. Yeah, all eyes will be on that that transfer window and obviously Jaden Sancho being a, a priority target for United. He's also been mentioned and so has Ben Chilwell in, in relation to Chelsea. Chelsea have, have got some of their transfer business done early ahead of the summer, but all eyes now will be on that FA Cup semi-final. And as we mentioned, Tyrone, uh, a real balancing act for United to, to get their team selection right for this one. Is it a case of strongest available side or do you have to, to rest and rotate and think about the top four race at the same time? I think with it being an FA Cup semi-final, it's, it's pretty much strongest available side. Um, I think Matic obviously comes back in. I'm not sure what the, the left-back situation is, is going to be. Um, like Samuel, I wouldn't be starting Greenwood. I think you'd probably be looking at, at making a change there. Perform Rashford and Martial, and they're obviously going to play. I don't think you'd dare uh, separate the Pogba-Fernandez partnership either for, for an FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea. So I think it's going to be a, a strong team. I think it's going to be a real, a real battle for United, given Chelsea have had 48 hours extra rest and these United players, you know, that, that front five started six games in 23 days now after last night. They're, they're going to have to start, maybe without Greenwood, but they have to start seventh in 26 days, really. And that is a relentless schedule where you've not played for three months. So I think fatigue could be a, a huge factor in this game against Chelsea, especially when they've got, you know, a lot of pace going forward at the moment. So Do you think, think United have to, have to maybe change their shape? Can they afford to play... The sort of quite open four-two-three-one that they have been playing against Chelsea, because it's going to be a different kind of game against Chelsea than the opponents that United have been facing in recent weeks. Yeah, it has. I mean, they've they've used the back three a lot in these big games this season. It, it, it kind of feels like they've been playing so well of late that it would be remiss to go back to that. But it, it might be an idea. It probably depends on. I mean, the, the success of that shape was was due to Luke Shaw playing on the left side. If, if the central defence, and obviously he might not be available. And if Williams isn't available either, then you're short of options. I'm not sure if Fosse Mensah is a, a left wing back as such. So it might be that the, the injuries just kind of restrict Solskjaer from going back to the back three. But if those players are fit, it's certainly one to maybe consider and just try and make it more of a tighter game, which would probably suit United fitness-wise as well at the moment. Yes, I mean, is it another two changes this, this weekend for you? I, I think that Nine elevenths of the team, you would say, are nailed on to start. Um, it's just the left back position. It's, if Luke Shaw's fit, then Luke Shaw starts. But Solskjaer, I mean, the other day when he was saying, I hope Luke and Brandon will be ready, I mean, he alluded that they might be ready. When he said that, I thought, OK, they're definitely not playing. Uh, they're both out of the Palace game. Uh, so if he says that again ahead of the Chelsea game, then I think that um, Fosu Mensah needs to start um, hastening his recovery and anticipation of. of of starting again on Sunday. I mean, that that would be a big ask. I think the fact that he started Fosu Mensah would, it, it, it possibly signals that he's confident that at least one of Shaw and Williams will be available for Sunday because 
as, as, as Solskjaer said himself, so Fosun Mendes will be in bits today. He, he's played, I mean, played over a hundred minutes with the added time um, against Palace. To ask him to do it again on Sunday is is probably far, far, far too much. So if if you if you bring him into the into the team, then you're not then going to bring Dallow back in on Sunday because it's just it'll have knocked Dallow's confidence that he didn't start at Palace. So it would be really, really weird if. On, provided that Shaw and Williams are not available for this weekend, that Dallow then comes back in, having suffered the embarrassment of seeing Fosu Mensa come back into the team um, at, at Palace. So I think it's left back and I think it's a third attacking role. And it sounds certifiable, but I really wouldn't be surprised if Lingard starts. He scored in three Wembley games for United. Um, they've won all of them. So that, that might Solskjaer might look at that and think, well, the sense of occasion, bring the best out of him. He was brought back into the squad at Palace. He came on on the hour mark and did respectably well. Not, not He didn't set the world alight at all, but he didn't disgrace himself by any stretch. And uh, look, he's, he's not exactly um, less appealing than Daniel James, given his form at the moment. Um, matter. There's no way you'd think he'd be starting uh, at the weekend. And I know Igalo, when the FA Cup comes around, he normally starts. But given it's a semi-final, given it's Chelsea, it would be a it would be a bit of a surprise if he if he was to to come back into the team for a game where United are just one game away from from getting into a final. Um, at the risk of overestimating United, I'd have thought that the progress they've made since. Um, the season restarted would suggest that they don't have to make those allowances for Chelsea that they did in the two Stamford Bridge games earlier this season. And they were completely different circumstances. They, you're playing at Chelsea for once, they're away games. Um, United were very inconsistent at the time of those games. I think the first the League Cup game was in October and the, the Premier League game was the first game back after the winter break. So at the at the time of both of those matches, United were not ex- exactly renowned for consistency or um, setting setting the world alight with with their form. But where it's a, on a neutral venue, um, I, 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 I not I wouldn't be unsurprised if um, it's not a case of being surprised if Solskjaer goes to a back three or anything like that. But they've been in good enough form where you would think. They can allow themselves to play four-two-three-one. I think Pogba. Uh, one of the things that have stood out about him recently is that he has shown commendable restraint in that he's not going gung ho. You go back to the start of Pogba's United career, or sort of when he came back four years ago. There were certain games when he's been played in Axis with Fellaini. I think the derby springs to mind when City won two-one at Old Trafford, where he did he just kind of like left Fellaini to it and he was completely isolated and what happened was that City ran rings around them. Pogba seems a little bit more disciplined now and I think that was probably because of what happened at the World Cup where there were games or there were passages and games where he did hold the fort with N'Golo Conte and he's doing that more with Nemanja Matic at the moment and it was telling that when Fernandes, I mean I think Fernandes is a little bit more, when he gets the ball he will turn, he will look forward and if the pass is on or if the pass is not on, he's going to try and play it. And he tried it last night and Pogba went spare at him. And what happened was Palace seized on it, got up the other end and scored. So it was almost as if we saw the best and the worst of Fernandes last night in terms of what he did with his contributions for United's goals and what he did leading to 
Palace's disallowed goal. I think Pogba's a more polished and, and refined player in that if he gets the ball, he can pick a pass ahead of him and he can do so spectacularly, but he will only play it if it is absolutely on. Whereas Fernandes is, it sounds disingenuous to say that Pogba isn't a risk taker because he does take risks, but Fernandes is far more um, unabashed about it. And I think it's a good balance that United have in that you've got those two options, someone who's always going to try something no matter what, whereas Pogba can calm the play down and use the ball more prudently. And I thought that was um, the Palace, a little bit like in the first half at Villa, he was, he was quietly effective doing that. Yeah, it'd be absolutely fascinating to see that access Pogba and Fernandes in a really big knockout tie uh, for United and, and whether Solskjaer yeah. does make any allowances and, and changes his shape because, like you say, United are a bit of a dis- different prospect to, to the team, even the one that beat Chelsea 4-0 on the, the season's opening day. I'm guessing that neither of you are going to predict 4-0 to United when I ask you a few predictions now. It, it, it seems like it's going to be a close game for me, one that, that could just go a goal or two either way. Yeah, and well, there'd be extra time as well on top of it. Um, it's the last thing United need. Extra I know, time it's, at the moment. It's it's a tricky one because I I think just just looking at how fatigued United are at the moment and that they've got what what will it be three games in in eight days I suppose. Unfortunately for them, I don't see them winning all of those games. But there's a way that they. Don't have they don't win all those games and they still get to an FA Cup final and um, and and finish in the top four at least so that's that's the upside to it. Uh, I do think they'll edge it on Sunday. I do think they'll beat Chelsea, but Chelsea. I don't think you can underestimate them having forty eight hours more rest. Um, and this one that that could be very very telling when it comes to the game. You see United edge, edging this one as well, Ty. I personally can see extra time and maybe even penalties, but. We shall see. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very tight game. Um, I'm with Samuel. I can see United edging it. I think there might be goals in it, really. United have got an ability to conjure up goals pretty much out of nothing at the moment. And their attacking players are in great form. Um, they have looked tired of late, though. They were fortunate not to concede last night. And you can see Chelsea causing them problems. So, I can see goals. I could see extra time. But I think United will. United have got the hex over Chelsea this year. And, and Solskjaer's got the hex over Lampard. So, I can see them just about edging it and booking a place in the final. Yeah, can Solskjaer make it four from four over Lampard this season? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, you can obviously follow all the coverage building up to the big FA Cup semi-final uh, and all the reaction to it, of course, uh, on Man- the Manchester Evening News. But for the time being, that's all for today's podcast. But thank you very much to uh, Samuel and Tyrone. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, and thank you for joining us. And we should be with you again for another episode of the Manchester Is Red podcast. Please leave us a like and a subscribe and share and all that jazz, and we'll be with you very, very soon.